Hi, my name's Andy Cope and welcome to the most uplifting podcast in the world. As a positive psychology researcher, I'm excited, delighted and honoured to be sitting in the podcast hot seat. The aim is to bring you guests who have something interesting or insightful or inspirational. They might have a story to tell, something clever, something simple, anything goes. We hope to inspire, educate, entertain and on a good day, maybe even make you chuckle. And why should you listen? Well, we figure life is relentless. It's full on. And most people are a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. So think of this podcast as a reminder or maybe a leg up to being a better version of you. Sometimes against the odds. So relax, open your ears, open your mind and allow me to bring you this week's amazing episode of the best podcast in the world. On with the show. Okay, podcast listeners, we are, we've gone international today, which explains the smile in my voice and the chuckle at the other end of the phone. Um, we, I mean, I'm really delighted with how the podcast's taken off. We're about to talk to Jim Polyopoulos, or Pooley, as, as thankfully as he's known. He works as, a, as an academic at Bentley Uni, which I believe is in Massachusetts, the good, good old US of A. But as that surname suggests, he's got a seriously proud Greek heritage, which he will not stop talking about. Um, so I'm sure he's going to get that in. Um, and we met on social media like you do in the modern world. And I watched his TED... In fact, I watched um, Jim's TED Talk. So before I introduce him, actually, I, I like TED Talks, but there's so many of them that I start to get a bit, little bit bored of them. And they're, and they're not all of the same quality that they used to be back in the day. So I'm getting a little bit blasé about TED Talks. And then I clicked on Jim's or Pooley's. And, oh my gosh, not only... I want to talk about his TED Talk in a minute. It was his amazing. We'll we'll do a link on the podcast. But then he did another TED Talk, which is equally amazing. <laughs> and we got in touch. And we've been... I think we're good buddies now. So, mate, Jim Pooley, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Andy. It's uh, I've really been looking forward to this. It's uh, it, it just uh, it was great to meet you on Twitter. It, it was like uh, a budding bromance. Between indeed, us. my boy. Indeed. <laughs> um, are you going to uh, are you going to brag about the Greek heritage or or not? What, what well, do you think? it is who I am. A hundred percent Greek. Both parents are you know first. I'm first generation. Born in the United States, both parents grew up in Greece from an arranged marriage, if all, of all things, a very happy arranged marriage. We just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary a couple of weekends ago with about 80 of their closest friends. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, being Greek as part of who I am. Yeah, mate, I know. And the TED Talk mate, really nails that, mate. So mm. I want to talk about various things, Paulie. I want to do it a bit different with you. I don't want to trawl the backstory too much, although we're going to go there in a minute. Yeah. But you, you, last time we Skyped, we talked to you. You mentioned the phrase you, "you're serious about happiness," which I yes. think is a beautiful <laughs> phrase. So if you just tell the listeners just a little bit of background about who you are and then i want to go back to 1989 with you but for now who, who's pooley who, who am i talking to absolutely uh so pooley is a recovering engineer i know that you're a recovering <laughs> academic i'm a recovering engineer i was great at math and science in high school and so everyone said you should be an engineer and so i did that i got a couple of engineering degrees and quickly found out that i didn't enjoy being good at it and so i i slowly moved my career away from that went into sales marketing uh, eventually started teaching and uh, became an executive coach and a full-time academic. I'm a senior lecturer at Bentley University. And I think the theme through all of that has been, I love to tell stories. 
And so I love to use stories like Aesop used to use his Aesop's fables, right? Tell a, tell a fun story with a serious message behind it. And I do that in my classes with my students. I do it with my executive education clients that come to my workshops. And I, and I do it with all my friends and family to the point where sometimes they just tell me to just stop telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> Paulie, this is why we're kindred spirits, my friend, because <laughs> I've spent the last 12 years creating a career out of telling stories. Exactly. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a it's a beautiful thing and it's an easy gig isn't it <laughs> well it i don't well possibly possibly yes. i think it i think with you with your genius you make it look easy so can, can we talk about stories then can we go back to 1989 and the yes. theme of your first ted talk about your yeah. six days in 1989 Just give us a potted history of what all that was about and particularly uncle lazarus and his moonshine yes. he's what is Absolutely. it racky yeah yeah my uncle lazarus uh so my brother and i went to greece in 1989 on vacation we were there for about, uh, we spent about six days in the village where my, my dad had grown up, which was next to the village where my mom had grown up. And my uncle Lazarus, who was 15 years older than my dad, was the sort of the main figure in the village at that point. And he had a little general store, and every day I would wander over to his general store. And this guy had such an amazing background. So, you know, you mentioned he was a, uh, he was a, a moonshiner, right? So he used to make his own raki, which is this... That I, as I said in my TED talk, it's like it's like ouzo, but it doesn't taste as good. <laughs> really, ouzo doesn't taste that good to begin with, and um, very strong. And he was a merchant. He owned a little general store. He was a miller because my grandfather had created the first uh, wheat mill in that area, and he was a musician. So he played the he played the violin in a in a wedding band made up of a bunch of gypsies. And so this guy had this incredible life. And I spent every day just going down to the general store with him, sipping a little raki, eating a little shish kebab, and just talking about life. And I just realized at some point during that week that this was an older version of who I wanted to be. And he just was happy, and he was satisfied in life, and they didn't have much. And it, it was just a magical week. And so when the week ended, a um, couple things that struck me, very emotional things, one was he started uh, crying a bit during uh, my last visit. And I said, are you sad that I'm leaving? He goes, yeah, I'm sad that you're leaving. He said, but I'm also sad because I've never really met another Pouliopolis that could sit and drink with me, drink for drink. So he was. He said, your dad was kind of a lightweight when it came to this stuff, and I really enjoyed the week that we had together. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll be back. I'll come back. I'll visit. This has been such a great trip. Uh, and that's really where sort of the uh, idea for the TED Talk came from because I actually didn't go back. Uh, it was over 20 years um, you know, when I went to visit him in 89 and, you know, over 20 years later, I got a phone call from my dad saying um, that Uncle Lazarus had passed away at the age of 95. Now, I had talked to him on the phone a couple times, but hadn't really gone back and relived that magical period of time. And uh, I think really the, the whole key behind the TED Talk and the reason I wanted to tell the story was I wanted to talk about my Uncle Lazarus, um, but I also wanted to talk about how in life we make choices about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And sometimes we get so busy being busy, we don't make a choice to tell a great story afterwards. We sometimes get stuck in our own routine. And that's kind of what happened to me. And it, you know, it was over 20 years of, of work and raising a family and, and you know, having a great life, but never actually making that uh, decision to go back, spend a little more time with my great uncle and have another, you know, another drink of Rocky and another bite of uh, shish kebab with him. And I really regretted that. And so uh, after he had passed away, I made kind of a vow to myself that I wouldn't let an opportunity to, to tell a story pass again. And, uh, and that was really the, the basis of the TED Talk was why people 
uh, have regrets in life and uh, what to do about it and how to avoid it in the future. Uh, and it's a beautiful, you, and you tell it so well, and it's a very poignant thing. I don't know how you managed to do that TED Talk without welling up, because I think it's very, very powerful stuff. Because, you know, we, I mean, we've all been there. We've all done that. We've all had these moments of, I mean, poor old Uncle, I mean, I'm sure Uncle Lazarus was very happy without you being there. Absolutely. But, you know, you sat, you're saying it's like a th six extraordinarily happy days. Simple stuff, drinking, talking. Uh, uh, you know, I'll promise I'll come back, Uncle Uncle Laz, and then 22 years later, man, 22 years later. Two, two years later, and, and, and uh, it hit me like a, a ton of uh, cement. You know, yeah. it was... Uh, it was shame and it was regret. You know, I, I felt a level of shame, you know, having promised that I would go see him again and not doing it. And, you know, and I spoke to him on the phone a few times over those years. But, you know, my Greek is my Greek is OK. It's conversational, but certainly over the phone, it's a little more difficult. Uh, you know, you don't have body language to help you with with the communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, face. you're not sitting having a drink and a, and a shish kebab with him, are you? You know, it's not the same. Exactly. Mate, can I just, I make a big point and a little point on the back Absolutely. of that. First sure. of all, I, I read a book. I can't remember where it, which book it was. It sounds a little bit uh, morbid. But what, what they said was that what you should do is get a pen and paper and write down a list of all the people who, if they died today, you would go oh. to their funeral. Okay, so and you just splurge that list out. And there'll be lots and lots of people on that list. And then you turn the page. So on the next page of the book, it said, now go see them. Yes. Yeah. These people, oh, these people great. are central. These people are your life. Yeah. This, this is uh, this is very timely because uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick example of what I of how this affected my life last year. Uh, I I heard through Facebook through some Facebook connections that my favorite teacher growing up was ill. She was suffering from cancer. Mrs. Jorgensen. She was my middle school English teacher, and she was just phenomenal. And when I think back about the reasons I became a full-time uh, teacher and professor, one of them was because I wanted to emulate teachers like her. And I hadn't talked to her in probably 30, 40 years. And I found out that she was ill. And so I contacted her son and I said, well, you know, what hospital is she in? And he and he told me where she was. And I said, I'm going to go visit her. Do you think she'd, you know, she'd be okay with that? He goes, absolutely. So I went and I just showed up at the front door of her hospital bed and knocked on the door. And I said, Mrs. J, do you remember me? And she looked at me and she said, wait a minute. You're Jimmy Pugliopoulos' dad. I said, well, I must look like my dad because I'm actually Jim Pugliopoulos. But the last time you saw me, yeah, I was, uh, you know, the, the, as you see me now, probably the same age as my dad the last time you saw him. So I visited her a number of times during the that year, um, you know, maybe a handful, three, three or four times. I communicated with her via email, um, dropped off a few gifts for her, and she passed away. And uh, and I will tell you, you know, I went to her funeral uh, talked to her sons, and they're obviously very appreciative that you know I had taken the time to do that. But I, I was not—I was sad that she was gone, but I felt—and maybe this is selfish—but I felt great that I had taken some time to just go back and touch base with her. Mate, it's, it's the least selfish thing you can do, though, isn't it? It's the, it, it, of right. course, you feel good, and you feel um, exactly. uh, yeah. a little bit. But, but she will feel so good. How good is it for her to know that a student from way back, you right. know, put, puts his success down in part to her teaching? So that's very powerful for her as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I of, and I felt, you know, uh, of course. I mean, this was kind of like my new credo, right? Don't. Don't yeah. let an opportunity to tell a great story. Like, that's a great story about my, my former teacher. Don't let an opportunity like that go by without making some decision. I mean, even in the TED Talk, one of the things I say is, you know, I've told my, my own children this, that life is about the stories you can tell, and a regret is basically a story that you can't tell. Yeah. 
So when you have a regret, it's like the echo of a story that you wish you could tell, and you can't because you didn't make the decision to to try something new or go down a path that you hadn't thought of before. It's a big thought. It's a very big thought. Um, On a little thought level, my grandma, (laughs) who is no longer with us, right? She had a special tea set, cups and saucers, special Mm. china. She kept in a locked cupboard. And you know what? In my lifetime, that tea set came out five, six times. Yeah. And and what I wanted, looking back now, I wish my grandma had used her special tea set every single day of her life. She was waiting for the perfect opportunity, waiting Mm. for that special visitor, mate. And. Yes, yeah. I know. I know. It's it's the special pants day, right? It's the, <laughs> it's the, you know Quit waiting. Start? Quit waiting. Put your special <laughs> pants on today. <laughs> you know, my parents used to go to Greece and they would bring back um, bottles of homemade raki before Homeland Security stopped letting that stuff into the country. <laughs> and uh, and so I ended up with the, like the last two bottles of raki made and they, they were in my basement. They were kind of tucked away for safekeeping. And I thought, you know, as I was preparing for the TED Talk, I thought, what am I doing, right? This is something he made. This is something that we enjoyed together. So now once a year, I get together with a bunch of my friends and we toast Uncle Lazarus. And, and you know, we break it out and we use it and we drink it. And it's it's just another way to... Um, what a brilliant way to... That's a better way to toast Uncle Lazarus rather than sitting looking at the bottle for exactly, 40 years. Exactly. Because you, you can take a picture of the bottle and it'll last forever, you know? But the but the, but the essence of it will... Well, eventually it'll evaporate because it's that strong. But Yeah, man, you think is what you talk your I love your message dude because it's because it's simple it's from the heart and it, it's not complicated is it this is the simplest it's thing not. in the world however in your TED talk you also talk you know this you've hit the snooze button too yes. many people hitting the life snooze button and I think yes. there's a difference between waking up little caps letters and waking up full caps you know we're like wake up come on this right. is your life and I was right. I tell I was in a school the other day and I told these kids I said you know when you're on social media you know, when you're on your Twitter and your Facebook, it's not time out from your life. Life doesn't, st- you can't, you're not pressing a stopwatch and stopping it and saying, right, I'm just going to do two hours on social media and then I'm going to continue with my life. This mm. is your life. The, t- yes. the hours you're spending scrolling and, and, and um, you know, that is it. it That's it. That's it. It's almost like, it, you know, the, and I know that there are science fiction movies like this. It's almost like you need a countdown timer, right? Yeah. That, that just shows up when you're doing something that is low value and and, um, and and kind of a, you know wasting your time like that, you need some sort of a like a heads up display to come up and say, look, dude, you've only got X amount of years left, so why don't you stop scrolling and start living? Well, we we'll stop scrolling, start living. Hashtag. I'm going to be hashtag. hashtag. That'll, be, that'll be on Twitter. <laughs> or oh, that's the title of your new book, mate. <laughs> there you go. Stop scrolling, start living. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great stuff. Also, I think you're in, you're in, I mean, I don't, I, I know I'm talking to you and you, you believe exactly the same as me. Maybe one day I'll, I'll interview somebody who believes the opposite and we can have an argument. But I think yes, in your case, debate. Yes. Yeah. but in your case, you also are a big believer that happiness comes before success, aren't you? That this yes. pot of emotional gold at the end of the rainbow, it isn't at the far end, it's at this end. Can you just unpick that? What, what do you think sure. about that? Sure. And I don't think I was always that way. I mean, I think that's been for me kind of an evolution over time. Right. So, I, you know, I went to school as an engineer, started working as an engineer and I could do the work and I was probably good at it. Maybe not great at it, but I was good at it. And I just never felt satisfied or successful. So then I went on and got an advanced degree. 
you know, I got a master's degree in engineering and I thought, well, that's the problem. I don't know enough, right? So I need to go get more education around this area. And nope, it didn't solve the problem either. I didn't feel any more successful or any happier. So uh, I think over time I started to realize, and I did, you know, and, I, and I've read a lot of books about this, and certainly over the last, you know, five or 10 years, right, there's been a whole lot more written about positive psychology and mindset and happiness preceding success. But, but I think generally I'm a happy person. Um, a, a funny anecdote, when my wife, uh, when I first met my wife uh, many years ago, um, one, of the things, one of the things that was uh, floating around back then was a song by Bobby McFerrin called... Um, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Don't, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? And so, you know, when we first met and started hanging out socially and all our friends together, at one point she looked at me and said, I think the song should be Don't Worry, Be Pooley. And I said, I'll take it, right? Because I just think I had more of a, I think I had more of a, a laid back attitude about life. And I, and as much as I wanted to be quote unquote successful, I started to realize that I'm happiest when I compare myself to who I was yesterday. In other words, am I getting better uh, at being pooley? And I'm most unhappy, and, and we all fall into this, and I fall into this all the time, and I try to you know mentally pull myself out of it. I'm most unhappy when I compare myself to other people. Yeah. And in the age of social media, of course, that's even harder to avoid, right? Because everyone just posts their best, their best side on social media. And when you look around at people around you, you might get envious of their financial success, or you might get envious of their lifestyle. But, you know, it's kind of like an iceberg. There's always something underneath that. You know, there's an old saying, everyone is fighting a battle inside that we don't know about. So we all have difficult times. We don't all present them to the world, but we don't assume that other people have difficult times in life as well, or struggles. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think I've, I've gotten to a point in life where I, I truly do believe that when I am happiest when I think about uh, am I being better than I was yesterday as myself? And I know and I see it and I can tell when I'm doing it if I'm comparing myself to someone else up here, for example, that's that's, you know, that I look at and say, well, how did they achieve that? How come I haven't gotten there? That's when I get most unhappy. And yet, frankly, that's the worst thing you can possibly do. So but it's so, what most people are doing. That's the problem, isn't it? That's well, why that's, what, the, that's why your message needs to get out there, mate. That is the problem. That is what most people do. And as I said, I do it all the time. But I just try to mentally pull myself out of that nosedive as much as I can. I mean, I think it's just human nature, right? We are we are a comparative species, right? We we are, yeah. We're wired to uh, compare, actually, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so that so I think that's kind of where I've where I've come from. And I and it's funny because my parents, especially my dad, he's very um, he's very risk averse. He's very conservative. He's a great guy. He's a very funny guy. But at the same time, he worries about everything. I mean, he's always been that way. And I think. Part of it for me is, as I was growing up, I think I became, I think I adopted an opposite style of his, you know, just kind of in reaction to his, his, his worry about everything. I kind of said, well, I'm going to worry about nothing as much as I can. And, and even to this day, he'll shake his head and look at me like, how come you're not worried about this? I'm like, because I just, I'm not going to let myself go there. And, uh, and I think that's part of it. I think, you know, your environment, you either get sucked into a certain, um, type of personality, a certain type of reaction to stress, or you or you adopt a mentality of, I'm going to be different than what I'm seeing people around me. And I think at some point I, I adopted that opposite mentality. And, yeah. you know, I've got a great life and I'm happy and got a great, you know, wife and great kids and great career. And uh, certainly there are things that I would still like to achieve and still like to have. But, 
when I look around and compare myself to where I was 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, I've, I'm, I'm a much better poolie than I ever was. And <laughs> tomorrow will be a better poolie, you know. <laughs> there's a great robert holden quote that i often finish my art of being brilliant sessions with and he says something like if there's something missing in your life then it's probably you yeah. and, I, and i think i think that's a really smart quote because i think what he means is that there's this big u-shaped hole in most people's lives and we're looking outwardly we're looking for material possessions or you yes. know, I'll get some, you know, so I'll, like you say, I'll get a better job, I'll get a better wife, I'll get a nice car, I'll upgrade my phone, then I'll be happy. Yes. Of course, they're not, they're, they're never, you're never going to get there, via, you'll be chasing it forever. So forever. This, this, this understanding that it's kind of, this, oh, well, the mystics have told us forever that it's something within. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, mate. I like the way you, 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 you are you drip feeding this into your lectures, by the way, because I'm really because you don't de really deliver this. You deliver sales, marketingy type stuff, don't you? Are I you do. surreptitiously drip feeding positive psychology in, unbeknown to your boss? Absolutely, absolutely. Good so man. I, so I often, you know, sometimes I force my students to watch my TED talks, <laughs> especially on days when I haven't prepared a lecture. I'll say, you know what, I'll make them watch my TED talk and we'll debrief that. Um, but I, one of the things I enjoy the most is when I get a chance to meet with students one-on-one, -on -one, especially when they're, when they're thinking about careers or internships or where they're going to work. And that's really when I get a chance to say to them, all right, so um, step back for a moment. You know, they'll come into my office and they'll say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm majoring in finance or I'm majoring in professional sales or I'm majoring in marketing, whatever it happens to be. So I guess I'm going to be a finance person. I guess I'm going to be a marketing person. I guess I'm going to be a salesperson. And I say, well, before you say that, you know, before you say, what you want to be, ask yourself, what do you want to do? Like, what are the kinds of things that you enjoy doing, even if it's extracurricular activities, even if it's a team that you're on or a club you belong to, or the things that you do when when you've got free time, when, when and if you have free time, those are the things that you should use to define your career, not the title of the career, right? Not the role that you hear, because often that role you know, I think in, in my other TED Talk, the Watermelon Seeds TED Talk, one of the things I talk about is if you say you want to be a doctor, does that mean you want to be a doctor because it, it kind of looks cool on TV? Or does that mean you want to be a doctor because you really do look forward to a decade of school, residency, tests, exams, um, you know, learning endless, endless amounts of biology and human, uh, and, you know, human biology and all the things you have to learn to become a doctor and all the hours you have to put into it? If you enjoy doing those things, then you should be a doctor. If you just want to be a doctor, you might be better served to become an actor and play one on TV, right? It's <laughs> it's, it's it's all about how you phrase what your what your next step is. So I always tell them, what do you want to do as opposed to what do you want to be, right? And I get a chance to talk to them about that. And I think, I think for some of them, I've been able to change the course of their lives. Of course, a lot of them have a lot of pressure from family, right? Especially parents in terms of, well, yeah, that's great that you want to do those things, but I really think you should be this kind of a profession, right? So there's always that that battle. The other clue I tell them to listen to is, what do you read when, when someone is not telling you what to read? When you're not being told to read these three chapters in a textbook or read this article or, or uh, go do research on this topic by a professor, what is it that you pick up and read? Like, what are you naturally attracted to? That's what you should try to find to build a life around because... You know, the things that I'm naturally attracted to are things, well, that's how I found you. I mean, I, I love positive psychology. I love this whole topic of happiness. And so just poking around and seeing your, your Twitter feed and then reading your books and watching your videos and listening to the podcast and 
And one day, it was I remember this, it was a Monday morning, I'm sitting in my office and I thought, I'm going to send a message to this guy in, in the UK and see if he responds. And that's how we connected. And, and, that's the, and that's the last piece of it is when you've identified an area that you're passionate or interested in, take some small action. Just a small, my small, tiny action was a simple direct message to, to you on Twitter. And let's see what happens, right? And, you know, and it blew me away that you, you responded fairly quickly and said, oh, my God, one of my favorite TED Talkers is interested in what I do, right? Yeah, and I yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, there we go. So, so all of this, this podcast, and, and any future collaboration we might have, happened just because I I was interested in, in this field. I took a tiny little action to connect with you, and that's what makes people happy, right? Yeah, and human connection, mate. But also, you've struck on something there. If 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 you're genuinely interested in something, it doesn't feel like hard work. Yes. It? No, it doesn't at all. And and uh, you know, as a as a professor, one of the things that I that I find is that I obsess over every lecture, right? And I've been doing this for a while now. So I, you know, I've got a lot of material. I can walk into any one of my sales or marketing courses or my executive education workshops on team collaboration or, or coaching employees. I mean, I do a whole bunch of sort of the, you know, the, the, the heavy business topics, right? And I can do all of those really without preparation if I had to, but I always step back before I go in and do a new one and say, what can I do differently? What what twist can I add to it? What can I learn from somebody else that I've observed doing it? How, what book can I read? What article can I access? What blog should I follow to get better at what I'm doing? Because I love being good at this part of my life. And when I was an engineer, the, the, the one red flag should have been I wasn't picking up technical journals when I didn't have to read technical journals, right? I wasn't thinking about the technology end of it. I don't regret, you know, the 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 career path I took because I learned a lot about problem solving and I learned about uh, being analytical. But at the same time, I realized I wasn't passionate about it, and therefore I, it was not going to be a long-term uh, successful path for me. And so, you know, that I think that I think that's what people have to ask themselves, and that is, what do you really love thinking about and doing? Um, and it's kind of like the Ikigai diagram in one of your books, right? Where you, you've got to find a way to combine what you're interested in, what people are willing to pay for, what yeah. you're passionate about into that perfect kind of, you know, in that perfect Venn diagram where everything comes together and you feel I'm contributing. And oh, by the way, I am so happy that it doesn't feel like work. May that ties in with the, uh, I, I, can't, I don't know which uni she's at. Is it Amy Wozniewski? I can't remember what her name is. She talks about job, career and calling. So a job mm. is a is when it's a nine to five thing where you're not maybe paid very well and you feel it's a hard work, it's a chore. So a job is when you get out of bed and you really can't be bothered. A career, you invest a bit more in that. You've got prospects. You might have, you might have a 10, 15 year plan. Uh, you right. feel like you might get somewhere but a calling what you're talking about here is a calling and a calling is when you know I wouldn't tell my boss but I would have done it for free it's when work yes. doesn't feel like work and and what I, what you seem to be doing with your, on your one-to-ones with your students is drip feeding that if you can find your calling Right. And if you can find a way of kind of monetizing that somehow, because we all need a bit of money to live, but yes. then work doesn't feel like work. And then that's got to be one of the secrets of happiness, hasn't it? It, it? it truly is. And I think, and there's two thoughts I have about that. The first one is, all this is actually fairly simple, but it's not easy sometimes to do, 
right? So yeah. you might be passionate about something, but you might not be able to figure out how to make a living doing it, right? And that's the and that's where it gets difficult. But you've got to keep working at it. You've got to find a way to make it happen. And that, you know, when I talk about this and people push back on me and say, well, um, you know, that old saying about do what you love and the money will follow isn't always true. No, it's not. Do what you love and figure out a way and, and keep chipping away at it to figure out a way to make a living at it. And eventually the money will follow. But it's not a magical thing. It doesn't happen overnight. So it's, you know, anytime you look at an overnight success and you and you carve away the outer layers of it, you realize that overnight success, whether it be a celebrity, an athlete, you know, any kind of professional, that overnight success probably was preceded by a decade of effort to get there. So I don't think it necessarily is easy to do, but I think the concept is simple, right? What are you good at? What do you like being good at? And what do you have enough passion to kind of, uh, or persistence to stick with throughout some difficult times? The the other part, the other sort of, sort of my, so that was my bigger thought. My My smaller thought was, I put my money where my mouth is when it comes to this. And, and the example I'll give you is, I have three adult children. So my youngest uh, child is 21 years old, and she's still in, in uh, university now. My, my older children uh, have both graduated. So my oldest, uh, not one of them, not one of my three children came to Bentley University as a student. The, the difficult part about that for me is they could have come to Bentley University tuition-free because I teach here. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a pretty big bill uh, that I could have avoided. But not one of my three students really were, not one of my three children really were interested in studying business. My oldest, uh, my son, who's my oldest, is a paramedic. Uh, He was on a search and rescue team in college. Uh, He has a passion for helping people like that. And he's found great success in doing that. He loves what he does. Every day he gets up and he goes and he loves what he does. My middle child, my daughter, graduated as a special education teacher. She's working on her graduate uh, degree right now, and she's going to be working as a special ed teacher. She has the DNA to be a phenomenal teacher, world-class teacher, and that's what she's going to be doing. And my youngest uh, is is studying um, athletic training and exercise science, and she's getting her master's degree in that, and that's what she wants to do. She wants to go work for some professional uh, you know, football, American or European football team as a trainer, and loves it, right? So it never really feels like work for her as well. And as a parent, all I ever wanted was to look at my children and see that they were happy. And I think most parents would agree that you as a parent, as an individual, can only be as happy as your saddest child. (laughs) That's a classic Gretchen Rubin. You can only be as happy as your least happy child. It's so true. And it's so true. And when I look at my three children, I think, all right, well, We've got some serious, you know, financial burden because they didn't come to Bentley, but I'm willing to pay it uh, because I look at them and I know that they're happy and that they will be successful because of it and that and that they have started their life. Um, they've started their true kind of calling a lot sooner than I was able to. Indeed. Isn't that interesting? I think that's uh, that's Coach Pooley at work, really, isn't it, in the background there? <laughs> I always it. think your own children are much harder to coach than the, than all the other students at uh, Bentley, though. And I think, mate, I think, you know, when in, in many, many years, when the, the Pooley funeral comes around, um, <laughs> you are that inspirational teacher. You are the one. There'll be a busload of Bentley graduates there <laughs> seeing you off, my boy, having, having uh, an ouzo behind the bike sheds or whatever they do. 
Yeah. I hope so, that's many years in the future. Oh, it'll be many, many years in the future, my boy. Many years. In fact, I think our time's nearly up, mate. Can I, you? It's been an absolute pleasure. Can I? I know you haven't bigged up the Greek thing quite as much as I thought you would. So let me. Do, so let me do it for you. Let me okay. do it for you. Uh, the Greeks, I think, um, have got two concepts of time, right? And I think they both fit this talk. So they've got uh, uh, Kronos, I think it's it is, which is the ticking clock. This yes. kind of what the Brits think of time is, you know, the t when every second is ticking by. Your 4,000 weeks of your life are gradually ticking by. That's the thing you can't stop. It's always going to be ticking. But there's also the Greek concept of kairos, which I think I'm led to believe yes. is a deeper sense. It's a, a sense of the time is right. The time is now. This is my time. It's almost uh, like uh, it's almost like the word kairos, which is kairos, right? That That word sometimes is used in reference to the season, right? So mm -hmm. the season or the time of year. In other words, like you said, this is my time, right? I, this is, this yeah. is my season. And I, I think, isn't it wonderful that, the, you know, yes, the time is ticking, we can't do anything about that. But I think what you've been really saying is, this, this is all of our time. This is our time right now. This very moment, we can we can point the finger back at ourselves, not compare ourselves with anybody else, but what can we do to learn to be a better version of ourselves? Because this yes. is this is all we've got is now this moment. Um, so there you go. The Greeks they've got two concepts of time. So the British we only have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, in America, believe me, we only have the one as well. And the yeah. clock ticks a lot faster at times. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Okay, Pooley, I'll, I'll let you go, my friend. It has been an absolute joy and a pleasure. Um, I'm, I know that people will be checking out your um, uh, your TED Talks on the back of this. But um, I think there's some big learning in there, so, but loads and loads of humor. And I love the fact that you just get it. What what we do in the UK is simple, and it's but it's not easy to do. It's not as easy as it looks. But I think the fact that you're drip-feeding in by the back door to your students, they think they're coming on sales and marketing. <laughs> no, That's you're right. not. You're going no, to get your life changed along the way. That's, I hope. I hope. I try. Uh, I do try to affect them all in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Pooley. It's been a pleasure. Take care, my friend. Thank you, Andy. Have a great one. And that, dear listener, is that. I hope you found it as interesting and as useful and as stimulating as I did. Congratulations, by the way, on making such a great choice of listening material. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you well. You've been listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. Listen to and subscribe to all our podcasts at www.artofbrilliance.co.uk slash podcasts.